0: Editor of Baptist Today in 2000, and under his leadership, Baptist Today transformed into Nurturing Faith and has expanded from a bi monthly magazine into an independent publishing venture that provides books, spiritual formation resources, group travel experiences, and digital material. Many of our Sunday school classes engage Nurturing Faith on Sunday morning. John is a graduate of Berry College, where he received a BA. Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where we received a Master of Divinity and graduated from Columbia Theological Seminary with a Doctorate of Ministry. Please join me in welcoming our guest speaker this morning, John Pierce. Uh, it's great to be with you, and I do appreciate Andy's invitation and uh, uh, your good attendance and participation in the previous hour. And a special thanks to Ron and Patsy Parrott for um, providing wonderful hospitality. I will go home and tell my family that I spoke three times in Louisiana and continually ate in between each of those times. So, you have wonderful food here. The Gospel of Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, is um, a text that is Familiar to all of us who knew those hymns. Mark tells it like this. The apostles gathered around Jesus. They told him all they had done and taught. But many people were coming and going, so they did not have a chance to eat. Then Jesus said to his apostles, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. You need to get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a quiet place, but many people who saw them leaving recognized them. They ran from all the towns and got there ahead of them, and when Jesus came ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt deep concern for them. They were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things, And by that time, it was late in the day, and his disciples came to him and said, "Uh, There's nothing here, and it's already late. Send the people away. Then they can go to the nearby countryside and villages to buy something to eat. But Jesus answered, You give them something to eat. And they said, That would take more than a half year's pay. Should we go and spend that much on bread? Are we supposed to feed them? well jesus asked how many loaves do you have go and see and when they found out they had five loaves and two fish and then jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass and they sat down in groups of 100s and 50s and jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves into the pieces, then he gave them to his disciples to pass around to the people, and he also divided the two fish among them, and all of them ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish, and the number of men who had eaten was five thousand. May these inspired words bring God's word to us today. We all seek to be compassionate and helpful people, don't we? An older couple was cleaning the kitchen after dinner when the woman began to feel lightheaded and passed out on the kitchen floor. Her husband quickly called 911 and requested an ambulance. The emergency operator asked for the street address and he said 1624 Eucalyptus Avenue. She said, sir, can you spell that? And there was a brief pause and he said, can you hold on just a minute and I'll carry her over to Oak Street. (laughs) Compassion is not always easy or convenient. This biblical account of Jesus feeding the multitude that many of us have heard so many times is filled with lessons about faithfulness and compassion. It is, interestingly, the only one of Jesus' Galilean miracle stories that is recorded by all four of the Gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all give their account of this miracle with varying details. For example, Mark and Luke tell of Jesus putting the responsibility for feeding the crowd squarely on the disciples. You heard that in the reading a moment ago. When Jesus said, they don't need to go away, you give them something to eat. Now what precedes this story is very important. Jesus had received word that John the Baptist, the one who prepared the way for Jesus' coming through the preaching of repentance, the one who had baptized Jesus to initiate his earthly ministry, had been beheaded in prison at the order of King Herod. Jesus was experiencing deep grief in that moment. And here in Mark's gospel, the earliest account, Jesus makes no reference to where the disciples got the loaves and fishes. And then neither does Matthew nor Luke. But it is John in the much later written gospel who tells us that it was a boy who gave up his lunch on that day. I'm so glad John included that detail in the story, for I really doubt that that boy went that day with some idea that he could play a significant role in Jesus' ministry. He probably went out of curiosity because, or because all of his friends were going. And his mother probably said something like, yes, you can go, but wash behind your ears and put on your church sandals. And here, take this lunch in case the preacher's long-winded. But it's really worth noting that this event that turned that little boy's lunch into a meal with all kinds of leftovers was not on Jesus' itinerary. Rather, Jesus wanted to be alone to deal with his personal grief. And he wanted to provide for the disciples a chance to rest. He made that clear. Jesus said repeatedly, let's go to a quiet place. So they took a boat. However, the curious crowds didn't allow for such. And when Jesus arrived on the other shore, what he thought would be a quiet place, Mark tells us that a large gathering had already occurred. Now, what would be our natural response in a situation like that? We would probably say, can't we get a little peace and quiet around here? But that's not how Jesus responded. He responded with compassion. Mark said he had a deep concern for those people. Now, it's clear that the Gospel writer Mark was not a Baptist preacher because he counted only the men present and said there were five thousand had he been a baptist preacher he would have counted all the women and children as well and any visible sheep and cattle on the hillsides and multiplied it by three but it was a large crowd now, this is one of the stories that many of us learn through children's story times and children's storybooks or of my generation or older, we learned it through flannel graph. And when we were taught as children this story, teachers usually settled on two morals to the story. One is that we, like the boys, should share whatever we have. And two, that what we give to God becomes multiplied. And those are two very good lessons for us to draw from this story at any stage in life. But what else, what else might we learn from this miracle story that was considered so important that all four gospel writers told the story? My friend Tony Cartledge and colleague who writes the Bible study many of you use, the Nurturing Faith Bible study, said of this particular passage, the whole point of the story is that Jesus is the Messiah who provides bread in the wilderness even as God provided manna for the Israelites. The twelve baskets of leftovers are more than an indication that each disciple returned with a full basket. They likely symbolize the twelve tribes of Israel. That is, it is a lesson beyond Jesus' spoken words that the one who brought healing and instruction and full stomachs on that day was none other than the promised revelation of God. However, I want to add that there is one more lesson at least within this story that we should not overlook because of its simplicity. That is that Jesus, the one we follow, the one who is the model for our lives, the one who is both Savior and Lord, gave us an example of compassion even when he would rather have been alone to grieve and his disciples would have rather had a time to rest, it is an important model for us of inconvenient compassion. You know, sometimes the disciples get beaten up in the telling of this story. We expect them to expect the miraculous from Jesus here. But the reality is Jesus did not always use miracles and sometimes when he did he would chide the disciples to tell no one. So the disciples were actually being responsible when they said there is nothing here to eat and it's getting late let's send the people away so they can go and buy food. Now John's account carries some specifics that are not covered by the other earlier gospel writers. John says that Jesus saw the large crowd coming and he said specifically to Philip, where can you buy bread for these people to eat? And John adds that he asked Philip this just to put him to a test, for he already knew what he was going to do. But Philip answered, Eight months' pay would not buy enough food, enough bread for each of these to have a bite. You ever wondered why Jesus did that? Perhaps he wanted to see how big of a vision the disciples might have. How big could they dream? My friend Bill Birch is pastor of Northside United Methodist Church in Atlanta. And he said that this passage reminds him that churches need both big dreamers and responsible realists to balance each other out. He said that Philip was mathematically correct in the answer he gave about how much money it would take to provide how much food for how many people. But what he forgot to factor into the equation was who was asking him the question. I believe there's a lesson or a couple of things we could learn from this. One is that we should be careful not to be so rational that we limit God's capacity to work within us and in our world. To do so in more remarkable ways than we can imagine, we must factor in the reality that God can do more than we think we can plan or afford. And the second is that what we consider too little to offer or to make a real difference can go a long way when Jesus is involved. In other words, we have more to offer to the kingdom of God than we probably think we do. Caroline Lewis, who teaches biblical preaching at Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, said this miracle story, that there is a sense that this story sums up discipleship because it's an invitation to action and involvement. And discipleship, she says, is not just about following, but about participating That is so important for us to grasp for the boys' generosity and the disciples' actions were met by Jesus' multiplying presence, but it was their generosity and their action that started the process. They didn't simply step back and wait to see what Jesus was going to do. They did something. A few years ago, I wrote a feature story on uh, Ellen Hevelon, who runs a very unique art gallery in Chattanooga, Tennessee. She gives out art supplies to persons in homeless shelters, as well as victims of domestic violence, persons with mental and physical challenges, disabled military veterans, political refugees, and she has discovered some amazing artists. In fact, she discovered so many that she opened an art gallery in which she sells their art. And when she does, she keeps 30% from the sales for the overhead. She gives 60% to the artist, and then she has the artist direct the tithe, the other 10%, to a charitable cause of their choice. For many of them, it is the first time in their lives that they are on the giving rather than the receiving end of generosity. Ellen told me she has learned so much about homelessness, about the complexity of the issues involved, how hard it is to overcome. But She said more than anything else, she has learned the importance of relationships, that relationships require compassion, an investment, and her investment began with handing out a few colored pencils and blank sheets of paper in a homeless shelter. Yet it has been multiplied into an impressive art gallery on the trendy south side of downtown Chattanooga. Think about that: fish and bread, pencils and paper it doesn't take much of an investment does it yet compassion over convenience is always the starting point and always the driving force compassion is more than feeling sorry for someone it's seeing feeling and then taking action it's handing over your lunch, believing it might make a difference. It's handing out pencils and paper, believing that people need something more than just food and shelter and clothing, which your youth exemplified this weekend. Now the word that is most often translated as compassion in, from the New Testament into our English language has some very interesting roots. It is actually a very crude definition of a feeling of concern so deep that it comes from the intestines or the bowels of a person. So perhaps the most literal expression of Jesus' word that we call compassion would be to have a gut wrenching feeling of concern to the point that we take action even at personal cost. Brennan Manning in his book A Glimpse of Jesus tells of five women who were computer salespersons and they attended a trade show in Chicago and their husbands came along and after the events at the trade show they were to meet at a restaurant that they had looked forward to having dinner at and they were had reservations they were very excited about this night and the program that day ran a little long and they were in quite a hurry so they rushed out of the station to catch the train and as they moved into the train station which was so crowded they accidentally bumped into a small folding table that was holding a basket of apples and the apples scattered all over the floor and the boy who was selling the apples was trying to retrieve them beneath the feet of all the commuters coming by and the women kept going and they got on the train, and just before the doors closed, one of them felt something in her gut that just wasn't right. So she jumped off the train at the last minute and said, I'll catch up with you at the restaurant later, probably for dessert. And she went against the flow of the commuter traffic. She finally made her way where she found the young boy on his hands and knees gathering apples. She got down on the ground with him and she discovered that he was blind and he was selling the apples to buy some school books. So she helped him retrieve them and sort out the bruised ones from the good ones and put the table and the basket back together. Then she gave him $20 so he could buy some more apples and she apologized for what happened. She said, I hope I didn't spoil your day, and I hope God blesses you. And as she started walking away, she heard the boy call out inquisitively, Excuse me, are you Jesus? Well, she had been that day because she had shown Christ-like compassion. Think of the difference. She had seen the need when the others were simply in too big of a hurry that they were distracted. She had a gut-wrenching sense of concern while the others were envisioning a very tasty dinner. And she had responded actively, going against the flow Figuratively and literally, going against the flow, she responded to the obvious needs while the others were just relieved to have caught the train. We may not be able to turn one small lunch into an all-you-can-eat buffet, but we can be like Jesus in our compassion. Even when it's inconvenient. Let's pray together.